Good morning, ladies and gentle people. Scott Colborne with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. And my sidekick today is none other than the mysterious Jim Shorney. That's me. Mr. Mysterious, what have you been up to? Did you have a week that's, off? That's a secret. Got to be mysterious, you know. Yes, we had a week off because last week was Blues Day holiday. Yeah. And so you're you're back in action today. I'm back in action trying to remember how to do this. And things are going well for you? You know, they say as you, you get older, there's there's three things that you start to lose. The first one's your memory, and I can't recall the other two. Okay. You shall remain mysterious here. I shall remain mysterious. We've got to our first segment guest up, and that's Charlene with the Capital Humane Society. Not very mysterious. Then we've got uh, Preston Dennett with his uh, excellent segment called The Seen and the Unseen. And then we have first-time guest Stephen Barone. He makes his home in the Las Vegas area and quite literally, from his backyard, takes almost nightly videos of UFOs. And uh, he's got a very popular YouTube channel. We'll be talking with Stephen about his work and about what he's seen there in that Las Vegas area. First up is Charlene with the Capital Humane Society, and she's got the greatest dogs and cats in the world out there for adoption. Hi, Charlene. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. You had a week off also from last week, so how are things going? Things are going well. We're very busy. Lots of dogs and cats looking for homes, so we hope that if people are looking for a great companion that they will consider adoption. And so what's going on this week at the Capital Humane Society? Um, we have, again, great animals looking for homes. We have our phone-a-thon going on. So if you get a call from Capital Humane Society, we are uh, doing our, uh, our fall phone-a-thon. We do it in the spring and the fall to raise money so we can care for these great animals. Um, we have uh, the... Um, Special going on the fabulous feline adoption promotion. So adoption fees are covered for the first five uh -huh. adult cats adopted each day. And we have some great adult cats that we can talk about today. And you said you're busy today, so that's a good thing. Yeah, really busy. Lots of animals that all need <clears throat> care. So uh, we're happy to do it, and it keeps us on our toes. Uh, Jim and Charlene, I'm looking at the page here, CapitalHumaneSociety.org. We've got some really fun cats for adoption. We'll start with Chica. She's really pretty. Sure. Kind of a, yeah, blue eyes, uh, probably a Siamese mix, domestic short hair, about six years old. She's very bashful, and her photo shows that she's just kind of not sure what to think. Um, but she will do very well in a quiet home with nice people who treat her like a princess. She's kind of got that stripe going up from the tip of her nose over the top of her head. It almost looks like a lightning bolt. Yeah. I, I think maybe there's some, like, 20-point Siamese going on there. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> yep, cool cat. Chica could be your cool cat. Chica has a buddy, and his or her name is? His name is Quill, and he is a very handsome black and white cat, about two years old. Just sweet, comes out and rolls around, loves a soft blanket, would love a lap to sit in. Um, so Quill will make a really fine friend. Almost, kinda, the way he's lying there, it almost looks like a skunk, you know? 
that, that <laughs> black, the white with the black all around it. But no, it's really a cat. He's very, very cute. Very yep. pretty. Beautiful cat. Quill, Q-U-I-L-L. Quill the Eskimo. Dun, da, dun. I think that dun, was dun, dun. Quinn the Eskimo. Oh, Quinn, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, we <laughs> nice, nice try, though. Chica, Quill, and? Zach. Zach. And Zach is about three years old, a neutered male, orange tabby with light, pretty eyes, a domestic medium hair. Um, is just a real handsome cat. He likes to lounge around and purr and have a happy life. So we hope he has a happy life with a new family soon. Zach, boy, that's a fun name to say. Mm-hmm. Yes. Zach the cat. Okay, uh, so when folks come out today or tomorrow and uh, they want to look at some cats, what can they bring you for donated items? Uh, we can definitely use uh, canned cat and dog food. Uh, we use that um, for do- animals that need special diets or that maybe aren't feeling great, so it's a little more enticing than the dry uh, food. And then we have a lot of critters, like guinea pigs and rabbits, so we can use Timothy hay for them. Uh, rabbits. Okay, capitalhumanesociety.org is the website that we're looking at. You can do that also. And Charlene uh, and friends are open today and tomorrow. Cats for adoption. And what are the hours? Our Pylock Pet Adoption Center is open on Saturday and Sunday from 11 to 530. Uh, Next week, we're going to do our fall fundraiser here at KZUM, folks. And uh, it's our annual big push to meet uh, our goal of raising $300,000 to ensure that we get the Corporation for Public Broadcasting funds. It's a big deal around KZUM. It's the difference between having all the lights on or some of the lights on. So uh, next week uh, when we do our pet talk segment, I want you to think about the, uh, the wonderful Dorothy Bush and how Dorothy would call in during our fundraisers and she would... Uh, make a donation because of Pet Talk and our work with helping people adopt dogs and cats. So when we do our segment next week, think about Dorothy Bush, the retired school teacher, now deceased, um, who just loved animals and wanted to help people also to experience that love. Okay, this is Charlene with the Capital Humane Society, and we're going to talk about dogs for adoption. We'll start with Moki. And Moki's gorgeous, a three-year-old spade female Akita mix, about 82 pounds, <laughs> so big dog. Uh, Moki is looking for an experienced owner that will bring out the best in her. Uh, she is a very nice dog, um, but she is looking for a home without kids or cats. Um, she, again, needs somebody who understands her breed and can work with her, uh, but she is just gorgeous. A great-looking dog, Moki, M-O-C-H-I. Moki's our lead-off dog, and his buddy is? Bendley. And Bendley is a lab pointer mix, about 11 months old, a neutered male, a very playful dog, young, and has all those puppy qualities, Um, a big puppy at 60 pounds and probably still growing, Um, but he's looking for a fun family where they will provide plenty of playtime and exercise and just love him. Okay, this is a fun website, capitalhumanesociety.org. You can put your cursor on the dog's picture and click and it enlarges and tells you a little bit about the uh, 
the dog and, and its history. And we just talked about Bendley, Moki, Bendley, and... Tracker, a four-year-old German Shepherd mix. He's a neutered male, about 64 pounds, a very happy dog, intelligent dog, looking for a family that will appreciate his fine companionship. Uh, he doesn't care for other dogs, so he wants to be your one and only canine, <laughs> uh, but he'll, he'll never wish for more. He's a great dog. Moki, Bendley, and Tracker, um, among other great dogs, you can see their pictures at CapitalHumaneSociety.org. And here's Charlene again to talk about hours open today and tomorrow. Our Pylock Pet Adoption Center is open today and tomorrow from 11 to 530. Okay, Charlene, so what do you got going on for the rest of the day? It's going to be a busy day. I'll be training some new volunteers, and we expect a lot of visitors today. So we're hoping that a lot of these great animals will be adopted. Is there a, a football game today? Oh, let's ask Jim. Jim said no. No, I don't think so. Okay. I'm, I'm lying. There is, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not in Lincoln. It's somewhere in Colorado. Some, okay, gotcha. Yeah. Okay, Charlene, thank you. Uh, all the best to all the folks out there at the Capital Humane Society. Thank you. All the best to you. Charlene and friends at the Capital Humane Society, make them the first place you go when you want to adopt a dog or a cat. I'm Scott Colborn and Jim Shorty here. We are exploring unexplained phenomena. Next week, we raise money on our show towards that, uh, that big goal of raising $300,000 for the year. And we have a $40,000 station goal next week. And we're going to try to hit 1,500 of that on our program. And we can do it with you kind folks out there calling in donations and also using um, your computers and smartphones to send us donations via the website. Next up on the show is Preston Dennett. Preston makes his home in California, and he is an accountant by day, night, and the weekends. He is a tracker of some elusive phenomena, and you hear about uh, all sorts of unexplained phenomena in his pursuit of the unknown. It gives us great pleasure again to welcome back our buddy, Preston Dennett. Hi, Preston. Hey, Scott. How are you? I'm doing great. I've got some Sulawesi coffee in my cup. I've got my buddy Jim here, and I've got you mm -hmm. on the phone. I've got a great morning going. Nice. Hey, tell yeah. us what you've been up to. Oh, things are always busy here. Um, I am really excited about this latest case I'm working on. This guy contacted me from England. Uh, he just told his wife for the first time he's never told anybody that he's an abductee. And uh, his wife reacted with quite a bit of shock, but was very understanding. And uh, he was looking around for someone to talk to and found me. And, uh, boy, we're just having an amazing time going over his experiences, uh, which are quite extensive and lifelong and a little bit different than some that I've heard. Uh, because, unlike most people, he is actually able to move around, he's active, and able to react in ways that, you know, I don't often hear. Mm -hmm. you know, often people will say they're, you know, they're paralyzed, they can't move, uh, they feel this pressure coming when the ETs arrive. Well, he can feel them coming, but it, this paralysis no longer works with him uh, for whatever reason. 
and it's led to some really amazing situations. Uh, he'd often wake up and there'd be grays you know, around his bed, or he'd be walking to the bathroom and there'd be a gray in the hallway, and he'd pass out, and this sort of thing. Well, more recently, he woke up to go to the bathroom, and uh, there was a gray standing next to his bed, and he jumped up and punched it in the face. Oh, and, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Really shocked wow. the gray badly. It, it hissed loudly at him, and its face, which was normally pretty docile, um, became very angry-looking, and it opened its mouth and showed a set of teeth, and uh, he passed out shortly after that. But he said he could feel this thing. It had leathery, gray skin, and it was not happy. <laughs> uh, another occasion, very similar, he's walking down the hallway, and he saw a gray, and he reached out and grabbed it by the neck. And couldn't believe that he was able to do this, because this normally doesn't happen. He just you know, passes out or he can't move. Uh, but lately, no. And this gray started speaking in his head, said, get off me, get off me, get off me. And its arms, he said, were windmilling around, and it's trying to push him. But it, they're physically pretty you know, vulnerable, weak, and was not able to get this man off of him until finally another gray showed up pretty quickly, actually, uh, from behind and sort of bonked him on the head with something, and he passed out. So this sort of thing has been going on recently. You know, he's had a lot of physical examinations. Uh, his wife is involved in some of these cases. He had another instance where he woke up. He was on board a craft, and uh, I've heard this sort of thing many times. He found himself standing sort of in the control room behind two greys who were flying the craft around. I've heard that a number of times, except uh, he woke up. And he's like, hey, guys, I'm awake. And they turned around, and he said they went into a complete panic. And it was actually kind of funny because one of them jumped up and started running around the room. And its hands were up in the air, and it's like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. <laughs> I'm running around in circles. He's like, don't worry, don't worry, it's fine, I'll stand here, You're, you can do whatever you want. And, and it calmed down and went back to its seat eventually. But he had the distinct impression these were younger, sort of teenage grays, or on the younger end at least. So just, boy, these really amazing encounters he's telling me. Uh, and I can tell he's telling me the truth. He's very nervous about having his identity revealed. Uh, he doesn't want anyone to know his name. I'm the first person he's talked to about this, except for his wife. Um, he hasn't told her some of the experiences because you know, they're very personal. So this really this, uh, this idea of uh, a person having encounters with other uh, sentient beings while the person is involved in a uh, relationship with somebody can be uh, unsettling uh, and traumatic for that relationship, especially when one person doesn't have a memory of the experiences, the other person does and swears that the other spouse or partner is involved. Have you have yeah. you have you heard about that uh, before with with your work? It can put a lot of stress on the relationship. Oh, it sure can. And in some cases, it does lead to separation. Uh, and uh, he was very worried about that because he's very close to his wife. They're deeply in love. They've been married for decades. 
And uh, he finally just had to tell her because he's an honest guy and uh, doesn't lie. And his wife knew that, and so she you know, knew he wasn't lying, but was pretty darn shocked. Uh, she's still very supportive, and she does have a few vague clues. Um, she doesn't remember anything, even mm-hmm. though he does remember seeing her above, aboard the craft. There was one incident where there was a Nordic, a woman, next to his bed, and he woke up, and he was trying to wake up his wife, and she woke up. But at that point, this Nordic went up through the ceiling, feeling kind of turned transparent it was all sparkly and she was gone and the woman or his wife rather looked up in time to see the ceiling kind of close up and there were still little sparkles there and she freaked out she's like what's that he's like did you see her did you see her you know did you see the figure his wife's like no i didn't see anything but i saw something Uh, so she's you know got little clues like that but it's difficult for this poor guy because often you know He'll have an experience with his wife. One time he woke up and he and his wife were aboard a UFO inside a tank of liquid that they were able to breathe. This is called the UFO breathing pool. I've heard a number of people describe this to me. Uh, he was with his wife and they were in a panic. And there were greys kind of looking uh, from the outside into the tank at them. And she was completely freaking out. And he spent most of that experience of that experience, trying to calm his wife and explain to her that they're going to be fine, the grades won't hurt you, and that they're going to get out of this. And that's all he really remembers. The wife, of course, has no memory of that. So this sort of thing, there was one experience he didn't tell her because it involved sort of a amorous experience where he was taken on board. And, yep. Um, you know, I don't want to get into the gory details, but I think you know what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Is that... Uh, he was asked to become intimate with another person. And uh, he couldn't stop this experience from happening. And he didn't tell his wife about this one because he's not sure how she would take it. Right. So, yeah, it's definitely a stress on a relationship for sure. Yeah, when when one person has the conscious uh, recall and the other person doesn't, they start thinking, gosh, by proximity, I'm either being exposed or could be exposed to this and so it leads to separations and breakups uh there's uh, on a lot of the guys shoulders i'm not trying to be patriarchal but there's a there's a sort of inherent genetic responsibility that we're supposed to be defenders of the hearth you know we're the warriors on the on the the uh, the walls overlooking the gates to the city and you know we protect people uh, that's kind of part of our role as a as a as a guy, and when we can't do that, that throws a lot of things that are really fundamental into into question. Um, yeah, it really does. There was one lady I interviewed years ago, and uh, she was having a lot of experiences, and she lost her best friends when she was a kid. She lost her husband as an adult. Uh, her family members didn't believe her. Um, she's had struggled enormously with that. Yep, I knew a gentleman that uh, lived in um, the northern part of Lincoln, Nebraska, and he was a member of our uh, Extraordinary Experiences support group. Uh, And his um, grown children were very uh, strict, uh, doctrinal, fundamentalist Christians. And they said uh, it was obvious that their father wasn't praying right, 
And if he would just join their church and emulate what they're doing, he wouldn't have these experiences. And he tried to point out that that wasn't the case at all, that he had a very strong faith and belief, and that his extraordinary experiences happened in spite of that. Um, and so there was, a, there was a schism between what his kids wanted him to do uh, and what he knew was, was working and wasn't working for himself. So it calls a lot of things into question. Oh, yeah. I know D- Denise and Bert Twig, a contact he's from Oregon, um, they were kicked out of their church after going public with uh, their own experiences. So it puts stresses on multiple levels in your life, spiritually, mentally, physically. Uh, it can be very difficult and challenging. For this guy I'm interviewing in England, um, he's not religious. He says it's really opened up his mind. Uh, it took him, He's had a lot of experiences. Uh, so um, I think he, it's understanding when he's... Uh, got a sort of different perspective than a lot of people on the universe. Uh, and he's just blown away and he's become very spiritual, had a lot of psychic experiences, uh, regularly has out-of-body experiences, and we're just getting into that right now. Because uh, he was pretty nervous talking to me. He's like, you know, if you don't believe me, you can hang up. You know, we, we don't have to do this. You know, I, I understand if you don't believe me. Uh, so he was pretty darn nervous about, you know, being understood. Um, and this gentleman from England, has he had um, a lifetime of uh, unusual experiences going back when he was a, a boy? Um, no, as far as you can tell, there, there was nothing in his childhood. Um, mm-hmm. I'm thinking there probably was. We're just going to have to dig a little deeper. Uh, but for him, it started when he was a young man. His first experience was waking up on board a UFO, and he thought he was in the hospital. He, mm-hmm. he had done a lot of biking this sort of thing, and thought he must have had a bike accident, uh, because he was not feeling very well, and looked up, and it wasn't a human, it was a gray, which he'd never heard of, and was very upset about it, and couldn't move, he was laying on a cold metallic table, and it held up this big needle, and it put it in his head, he's like, ow, ow, you're hurting me, you're hurting me, you're going to kill me, stop, 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 and it just looked at him, and couldn't have cared less. He's not particularly happy with these guys. Uh, his experiences aren't what I would call super benevolent. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, one time he woke up and the grays were around his bed and his wife. And one of the grays says, oh, you know, it's not your turn. You go to bed. Don't worry. We just want to take your wife. And he got really jealous. <laughs> He's like, hey, you're supposed to be coming for me. And they're like, no, we don't need you this time. And they took his wife. And for whatever reason, he, he was upset because they didn't take him. So he said, and when it doesn't happen for a while, he starts to miss it a little bit. Because uh, at this point, he's much more conscious and he's very eager to see what happens. He kind of feels like he's on their naughty list right now because he's you know, tried to choke them and hit them and keeps waking up when he's not supposed to. Uh, and it's been a while since he's had an experience. We'll see what happens. Is the, is the gentleman on any... Uh uh, prescription medication that, that may interact with why they can't keep him uh, semi-asleep while he wakes up? Uh, no. No, he's in good health. And uh, he's wondering about that himself. He hasn't read anything on this. He's just started to sort of look into it because uh, he was in denial for a while himself and 
had a real hard time with it and finally faced it, you know, some five or ten years ago that this is happening to him. Uh, but hasn't really looked into it. Doesn't have anything medically unusual about him. There's really nothing unusual that he can figure out why he's being taken. It's not in his family that he's aware of. Uh, I, it's still kind of a new investigation. So uh, I think we're probably going to have answers to some of these questions. Mm-hmm. But at this point, no. As far as I can tell, he's not on anything. Has, has anybody else... Um like a uh, England British agency shown interest in him? No, okay. no, he's had no interference whatsoever from anybody. Um, he hasn't talked to anyone about this at all, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that might be a factor because often when you go public, that's when you know your phone starts getting tapped or you're followed. Or like one gentleman I interviewed in New York, uh, I'm like, well, you write down all your experiences, write them all down. And he did, and that he had a break-in, and the police, or you know, whoever broke into his house, t- took only that, his notes, which he had put up on a mantle in an envelope, you know, in a very distinct place. There's no way he could have misplaced it. It wasn't lost. He called the police, and the police are like, well, yeah, we understand you've been robbed, but there's not a whole lot we can do if it wasn't of real value. He's like, well, it was. There was a value. You know, these are my notes. I'm like, we're, we're sorry. You know, we can't really build a case out of this. Um, call us if it happens again. Uh, but I find it interesting that, you know, someone broke into his house just after he started writing this stuff down. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think there's something to that. With the, with the gentleman from England that you've been describing his experiences, is there any benefit uh, to somebody like this installing some some um, motion-triggered cameras in their home, some uh, audio or video recording devices. Right. Yeah, I think that would be a good idea. Um, I know other people have had varying levels of success with that. Some have installed cameras, and in most cases the camera will black out or the person will get up and go sleep in the living room, and that's when they come. Uh, I know one guy I interviewed, Jim Schaefer from Canada, uh, put his cell phone on, uh, you know, kind of sound trigger. I forget what you call it, but uh, if there's a sound, it turns on. And did catch an abduction and apparently caught them talking to each other in a sort of high-pitched, squeaky voice uh, for about 20 or 30 seconds. Uh, Didn't see anything, but Mm -hmm. actually did catch them on audio, apparently. I remember, Jim, that years ago, Bud Hopkins had uh, a, a photograph that was pretty incredible. Some people were outside having a picnic uh, of sorts. Mm-hmm. They were by a, a picnic table. And um, when their trip was done and they developed some of the pictures, one of the pictures was from probably 15 to 20 feet up in the air looking down towards the table and there was some evidence that the that the camera was spinning slightly as it took the picture mm-hmm. and so it was believed that that somebody one or more people at that gathering had an encounter with some other intelligent beings and when they were being taken up if you will to a craft or a ship one of them holding that camera snapped the photograph 
Wow. And um, so I, I don't know where I can place my hands on that, but I remember seeing that years ago, and it was pretty, pretty interesting. Yeah, well, I'd like to see that. You know, thinking if you were to, to fake that, how you would do that, you know, try to get a strong balloon and suspend a camera uh-huh. with a remote uh, start-stop in that balloon and send it up and then have it over that table. Oh, yeah, and, that's actually been done. You know, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, there are the cases where, you know, there's been some amazing photographs. I remember Reverend <laughs> Bailey and Ruffel was investigating his case and he was having visitations in his room. She's like, put a camera by your bed, take a picture. And he was able to capture a really amazing photo. It's a little blurry, but it does show a figure mm-hmm. uh, in his doorway. Uh, there's another case which was on the television program Sightings, which I sometimes think back to because it's so interesting. It's these girls were driving along and saw a UFO, and that's the last thing they remember. Uh, and uh, had missing time. And some time later after the incident, you know, they had a camera in the car. They didn't realize that they took photos, but when they developed the film, they were shocked to see that, yes, they did not text back to take photos and had about four or five pictures of these UFOs approaching their car, oh. uh, which they don't remember. They don't remember <clears> that at all. Folks, if, um, you've, if you've got uh, stories and reports for, for Preston, he's an easy guy to find. PrestonDennett.Weebly.com. If you type into your favorite search engine, Preston, P-R-E-S-T-O-N, Dennett, D-E-N-N-E-T-T, Preston's going to pop right up there, and uh, he may have some ideas for you uh, if you're having personal experiences, and he's certainly going to be willing to, to listen to your story there. Um, tell the audience briefly your latest book, Preston. My latest book is Schoolyard UFO Encounters, 100 True Accounts, and I'm still getting more of them. Boy, it's just amazing. Uh, a lot of people are having that Uh, the previous book was on UFO healings, and a very important book ran over 500 pages. So, more at PrestonDennett.Weebly.com. Go ahead, Preston. You can use that book for weightlifting, too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I, I guess we'll talk to you again next week as part of the program for the big fundraiser, and we sure appreciate it. And as always, we look forward to it. Hey, always a pleasure. Thanks, Scott. Preston Dennett. Accountant by day, UFO hunter by night and the weekends. I'm Scott Colborn. We'll take a bottom-of-the-hour break. We'll be back with our main guest, Stephen Barone. Scott Colborn, Jim Shorney, and you guys and gals, we are exploring unexplained phenomena. Voice of the Blues in Lincoln, Nebraska, KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. Support for KZUM comes from Open Harvest, celebrating the grand reveal of their redesigned store. All are welcome on Friday, September 13th from 4 to 7 p.m. for a grill-out, live music, bubble demo, and more. 
Details on Facebook and openharvest.coop. The full moon lights the silver rails winding around dark mountains and over steep gorges of jagged rock in one freezing cold rushing black mountain river. I wish there was enough time to describe all of the funny twists and turns that led up to now, but there isn't enough time because there's a ticking clock and the two passengers we care most about don't know anything about it. To see what happens next, visit read.gov to read The Exquisite Corpse, a riveting adventure pieced together by John Sheska, Shannon Hale, Daniel Handler, and other popular authors. Explore new worlds. Read. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Vic Valverde, and I'd like to invite you on a musical journey of both sound and rhythm to a place I call Mesoterra. We'll travel far from commercial culture and just a step or two away from the abstract. So join me on Saturday afternoons, 3 to 5 p.m. for Mesoterra, right here on KZUM. Scott Colborn with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. It's sure great to have you with us, whether you're at the workplace or just kicking around home. We've got uh, our cups full of Sulawesi coffee. Good stuff. And uh, looking forward to chatting with our next guest. Stephen Barone makes his home in the Summerlin area of Las Vegas. And uh, I met Stephen several years ago at a Starworks USA UFO Symposium hosted by Paula Harris in Laughlin, Nevada. Mr. Barone was showing some of his videos at the symposium that literally he had taken from his backyard in Summerlin. Uh, these are videos of lights and objects that at first glance, you might dismiss them as airplanes or satellites if you weren't thinking very deeply, just looking for an easy answer. Lots, oh, that's got to be so-and-so. But Stephen's going to help us dig just a little bit deeper to understand that these lights and these objects are doing things 
quite simply that airplanes and satellites can't do. They are indeed UFOs. And they're performing for Stephen right out in the open. Um, and I'm a big fan of his work. I sat up late last night and watched uh, a bunch of these, um, these films again. And Stephen, it's, it's great to have you on the broadcast. I can't believe that more people aren't talking about these things. Well, good morning, Scott. Good morning, Stephen, to you. Yeah, thank you. I wish more people were watching them, but I, I think that's probably a little bit my fault. <laughs> I, I This is something that I fell into because of two amazing sightings that I had uh, beginning in 2011. And little by little, I realized I'm not the biggest fan of social media and the way people behave with one another. You know, it seems like... Um, People say things now on social media that they would never say to your face. So, you know, I limit myself. I'm only on YouTube. Uh, I don't like arguing politics. I don't like any of that. So I withdrew from those uh, platforms like Facebook and, you know, places where you could go and argue with people. And right. so I just put all my, my spare time into my hobby, which, of course, is going out into my backyard at night and, you know, scanning the skies. Um, Stephen, so you were out in your backyard one night, and did you happen to just look up and see something pretty incredible? Or were well, one of the sightings that you had kind of the, the lead-off for this? Well, the lead-off uh, was in 2011, Scott. Uh, my wife and I moved to Vegas. Uh, we had an opportunity. She was a paralegal. An opportunity to come work here. And I grew up in Las Vegas. I hadn't lived here ever, though, as an adult. And so we moved in 2011. And that same year, in October, we took a cruise uh, to the up the East Coast, up into ultimately ending up in Nova Scotia in Canada. And Halifax, Nova Scotia, was our final port before heading back to New York City. So we got on the ship that night, and the ship took off from Halifax heading towards New York City. And back in, you know, back then, that was October of 2011, I, I used to smoke cigarettes. And I'm proud to say that I'm a, I've been a non-smoker now for well over two years. Hey, way to go. But back then, yeah, back then, it was about 9.30 p.m. The ship is heading uh, south towards New York City. We're out to sea. It's as dark as can be. It's cold. Even though it's October, it was kind of cold for that region. And I went outside on our balcony to have a cigarette, and that's where my first UFO showed up. And it, it was just unbelievable. It, it was more than I could have ever hoped for because it had to be less than 200 feet away. It looked to me like a crystal, Scott. It, mm -hmm. it looked like a gigantic crystal flying. 
and it was going uh, north while we were going south. And I only saw this thing for about six seconds, but I couldn't even blink. I, I, I just watched it go by. It went around the back of the ship, and I lost it there, never saw it again. But I, it was just such a profound feeling because I, I had come to the conclusion that it wasn't in the cards for me to be one of the lucky people that get to see a, a, an actual UFO, and, and then close up, no less. So that got me really excited, and, you know, my wife thought I saw a gigantic seagull or something, but no, it was it was definitely a UFO, and um, everything kind of tamed down after that. I, you know, there was nothing much I could do. Uh, so fast forward to April of 2014, almost the same thing, but this time I'm in my home here in Vegas. I went out on our patio about 8.30 at night to have a cigarette. And out of the corner of my eye, I see these crimson red lights. And as soon as I stared at it, I realized it was a UFO. And I excitedly jumped up because our backyard has a view that you just wouldn't believe. And I ran over into the corner of the yard where we have a big cement pad and was fumbling to try to get my phone because I'm going to shoot video of this thing. Mm -hmm. And I did. I got it out. But as this thing is going to the north, it stops. And it starts coming backwards right in my direction, Scott. And I, I actually almost panicked a little bit. I mm -hmm. thought maybe that it saw me and that it was coming back. And all of a sudden it stopped again, and then it continued on its way. And so I began filming this thing, and my adrenaline is running like crazy. But I knew I had one. I knew I had one. I could prove to my wife that I wasn't lying to her the first time. And I filmed that thing a little over five minutes. It was going around like a hummingbird. I did just a horrific job of filming it, but I did catch it. And I, I turned that into MUFON, and, you know, sure as heck, it, it came back as a and unknown. Mm -hmm. So I, I was happy. I was really happy about that. I knew that. And, you know, to end that, this whole thing up, that is where after two amazing close-up sightings in less than three years, I decided that, you know what, if, if this is happening and just by randomly I'm catching these mm -hmm. things, what if I, I get myself some better equipment and I come out here every night and just wait for an hour, two hours, three hours, however long it takes, and see what I can catch. And that's how it all began. I So for more than three years, Scott, I literally was outside more than a thousand nights, several thousand hours of just waiting and watching. And, you know, part of that is the view. It's a perfect storm of circumstances. I have the, this amazing view of this city. We're up a lot higher. And, of course, we're in Vegas. We're near Nellis Air Force Base, Area 51, Creech Air Force Base. So that's how it all began. Mm -hmm. And um, so in the last five years now, I've got about 70 videos that I'm very proud of. Uh, when we watch one of the, uh, the Unexplained Phenomena shows on TV... 
it looks like there's action taking place, you know, literally every every minute. Something's just about to happen. The actual physical reality is that there's a lot of waiting around (laughs) that I imagine that you've experienced your share of that because you can't go out and on a whim just begin recording these objects. You've got to be out there for a while. Uh, Some nights you may see something, some nights you may not. Um, Is there, having done this for so long, Stephen, is there any rhyme or reason And just going a bit deeper, do you think, and this is not meant to be an egotistical question, do you think that that you have a conscious ability to somehow say, okay, I'm ready, show up and let me see you? Yeah, okay. Well, I've heard a lot of people talk about those sort of things. Right. Uh, I have to say, though, I suppose I'm probably an unusual choice to have this thing happen to because I've always believed in them, but I'm not, I'm usually very skeptical about things like that. Uh, I don't feel like I'm, I'm at all that, that kind of a person. Uh, I, I just feel like something happened with those first two that really got me to where all of a sudden I opened my eyes. And a, a good example of that, Scott, is that, we lived in this home for almost three years before I realized anything was even going on. Mm-hmm. And that was after seeing that first one in Nova Scotia. I, you know, uh, I think what happens here with people like me before I really realized what was going on, and then just ordinary people, is they go outside, they're going about their daily lives, they see lights in the sky and they just assume it's airplanes or helicopters or right. satellites or right. whatever. And and that happened to me until I had these two profound events that happened that opened my eyes and made me want to put in the time. So, you know, what was really good, Scott, is that at night, you know, you have a choice. You can watch television, you can relax, you can read. There's a lot of things you can do, but... To me, I just chose that rather than watching television or reading or whatever, I'm going to go outside and just sit out. And it's beautiful. You know, it's, I mean, maybe maybe on nights when it's really cold or, or even hot. I mean, it could be hot here at night. Um, it was still worth it. The, uh, this is Stephen Barone. He makes his home in a residential suburb of Las Vegas that's called Summerlin. And uh, he's got a famous YouTube channel now that has a lot of his videos posted on there. And um, what's the best way? I've got the whole address here for the YouTube channel. What's the best way for people to find your work? To type in your name uh, or... You know, uh, there's a lot of other Steve Barones in the world. <laughs> I remember everybody loves Raymond. <laughs> they were the Barones. <laughs> but uh, the best way, I think, for anyone to find the channel is just type in UFOs over Vegas. Do a search. You can do it on Google. You can do it while you, you are on YouTube. And you will find me real quick. 
And if that doesn't work, just go and look for Las Vegas UFOs on Google. You will find me fairly quickly that mm-hmm. way as well. Um, Summerlin, I actually got interested in that uh, and found a lady who's a realtor that specializes in Las Vegas real estate, and she had a number of videotapes, uh, I should say uh, clips, that were posted on YouTube. And uh, so she described Summerlin as being a pretty gigantic uh, suburb. I think the running length is something like 12 miles. Yeah, it's pretty big. And, And Howard Hughes is the person who originally bought all this property to put in this master planned community you know so summerlin is i want to say i think I, last i heard it was around twenty-eight thousand acres and he was really a visionary kind of guy mm-hmm. uh, because as a kid growing up this was all just virgin desert and we would come and play out here but uh what he's done now it makes me feel kind of old scott because <laughs> I was in Vegas, you know, for the first time when I was two years old in 1956. And there were 50,000 people here then. Mm-hmm. Right now, in the Valley, uh, there's well over 2 million. Um, before we take the top of the hour break, Steve, I want to have people kind of imagine themselves uh, on your your deck and Tell us the direction that you're facing, and during during daylight hours, what are you seeing in the near and the the distance? Yeah, well, what what I can see uh, from my little cement pad, and I could even see it from my kitchen window. But um, you know, we see the entire Las Vegas Strip, all the way from as far south as you can go all the way to downtown Las Vegas, okay? And then, of course, we're 1,800 feet higher in elevation than if you were sitting on the Strip. So we're kind of looking down on everything, even though it's about 13 miles away. So I can also see all of the surrounding mountains. Right. And so the, the areas that I like to really focus on, though, are, you know, in the southern part of the city, and then on the northeastern side and the northwest, we're going to end up on the runway at Area 51, right in the center of the base. Mm-hmm. So, and then, of course, the front of our home um, are the Spring Mountains, which are only about three miles away. And I don't get a lot of video from there, Scott, because there's a lot of obstacles on that side of our home, on the front side, you know, is that the elevation continues to rise. Right. So, so you're in your concrete pad. Which which direction are you are you looking there? What I'm I'm looking primarily to the north, to okay. the east, and to the south. Gotcha. Okay. Um, you so know, the west is difficult. If if uh, you folks have a chance that are listening out there, if you uh, are on Facebook and look up exploring. Unexplained Phenomena, the name of our radio show. We've got the announcement here for Stephen's appearance, and also there's five video clips. We put together a Stephen's Top 5 Favorites 
of the 70-plus videos that he's done. And we'll come back and talk about these and what, it, what is impressive to Stephen about each one of these uh, after the top of the hour break. So go to the Facebook page for Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. You can probably also get there by doing EUP Radio, and you'll see the announcement for the show and the five clips. And I think, Jim, you're going to post one of these here. Sure. Coming up here. Um, Stephen, post, post it in separate posts so you can find them easily. Oh, thank you, Jim. Stephen, what are, you, what are you drinking in your cup? Are you a coffee guy or a tea guy? Oh, I'm a coffee guy. Okay. <laughs> it's got so, to be nice, fresh ground, French roast, pretty strong. I only drink one cup a day, but that, that's the one that gets my motor running. <laughs> okay. Um, it's great to talk with you. Stay right there, St- Stephen. We'll be right back. I'm okay, Scott. thank you. I'm Scott Colborn with Jim Shorney and our special guest, Stephen Barone. And if you type in uh, UFOs over Vegas, you're going to find his YouTube channel. Stay tuned for some really interesting conversation. The stuff, folks, is happening right in front of the people that live in that Las Vegas area. We'll come right back for more conversation with Stephen Barone right after this. in Lincoln, Nebraska, KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. Support for KZUM comes from family-owned and operated Butheris Mason and Love Funeral Home at 40th and A Streets in Lincoln, offering services that allow families to plan ahead according to personal wishes, chapel facilities to accommodate all faiths, and grief support materials for the family following a service. More information is available at 402-488-0934 and online at bmlfh.com. My name is Manny Morales. I'm 45 and I coach youth football. It's still hard to believe because the high school me was a work in progress. But big brothers, big sisters give me a real role model. And the young me needed a role model bad. My bigger brother's name is Ray. And Ray is the reason that this seven-year-old grows up to be a role model himself. Whether you donate money or time, you're helping Big Brothers Big Sisters help a child. Start something today at BigBrothersBigSisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council. This program is made possible in part by a grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Hi, I'm Vic Valverde, and I'd like to invite you on a musical journey of both sound and rhythm to a place I call Mesoterra. We'll travel far from commercial culture and just a step or two away from the abstract. So join me on Saturday afternoons, 3 to 5 p.m. for Mesoterra, right here on KZUM.
Scott Colborn with Jim Shorty and you guys and gals. We are exploring unexplained phenomena. Next week is our big KZUM radio fundraiser. And why do we raise funds? It's because KZUM radio is non-commercial, uh, it's non-profit, and it's independent radio. So the bulk of our money that we operate from comes from listener donations. We, we'll be asking for those next week, and we sure appreciate, appreciate that. So, How about this, Scott? Yes. KZUM raises funds so we can raise fun. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, we're we're a we're a point we're a beacon of light. A beacon of light on the hill. We uh, are the longest running paranormal talk radio program in the world, and uh, I wouldn't change a thing. I, I like the easy format that we've got. Mm-hmm. Very relaxed, like we're sitting sitting around a cup of a couple of cups of coffee, and we're having a conversation, and people listen yeah. in, and we got nice digs to work in here, yeah. and uh, you know the studio is awesome. And people like Stephen Barone. It's Stephen Barone. Stephen, we're back here, and uh, do you have you ever talked to George Knapp of KLAS TV? I haven't talked to him physically, um, but I have had messages go back and forth. Um, Is he aware I of your work, George? I'm sorry. Can you repeat that? Yes, Stephen. Is George Knapp aware of your work? Uh, he's aware, but I think he hasn't taken enough time to really look at everything. You know, typically what I'm finding, Scott, is that a lot of people that are well-known in this field, first of all, they're so busy with their own thing that they really don't always have a whole lot of time to really take a good look at something. I, I really wish he would, because one of his comments were, uh, this is going back a little ways, was that there were some very intriguing video that I have. Mm-hmm. But he said at the end of the day, they are just lights in the sky. So that's where I stand with him. Um, and I'm okay with that. I, I fully understand where people are coming from. But I think that when when somebody takes enough time to really look at the collection and not just one minute or two minutes of a video or just a random video that they'll find that there really is something amazing going on here. Yes. And, you know, I'm not somebody who says I'm filming aliens or I'm filming, you know, military aircraft or black projects. You know, I, I try to stick with only what I really know and what I really know right now at this point, Scott, is that at the end of the day, these about 70 videos, like I say, are good enough to show that there's something very unusual going on here. And so, that it's, you know, incredible stuff. And um, so that's kind of where I'm at. I don't like to say anything that I don't know. Yeah, I... I I'm amazed uh, at the reticence of George Knapp to uh, to not look more closely here because there is, from my vantage point, and you certainly have a number of people on your YouTube channel that would chime in, there is indeed something going on here. I am not a novice. I'm not a rube. I've been at this since about 1974. 
I'm not a photographic expert, but I've seen lots of video. I've seen lots of evidentiary stuff. And you, Stephen Barone, have got some amazing videos. Um, so let's, let's help people understand why these are amazing. Um, yeah, well, first of all, thank you, Scott. That means a lot to me with somebody with your, you know, experience uh, that you would feel that way. And there are people like you that feel that way. And I, I do really appreciate that. But, you know, I'm not going to get upset at George or anyone. I, you know, it's just maybe he's just not interested. So that's okay. So you're using a variety of equipment. Talk to us about what you're using there. It, and it probably evolved as, as your budget allowed and time went it, by. So <laughs> It did. Um, it began with just my Galaxy S4 telephone, mm-hmm. you know, that first UFO that I filmed. I, I, didn't, I, I always say filmed. Shame on me. Shot video of. It's all digital now. Um, and then, you know, I saved my money. I mean, my wife and I are comfortable, but we're not wealthy. So I can't go buy a a $3,000 camera, you know, but I did get a, about a $600 camcorder that was HD. I began with that. And then a year into it, I was starting to develop, you know, a small fan base. And there was one gentleman from North Carolina who had a number of night vision cameras that he had and that he said he had one that he wasn't using and that he would like to send it to me. And of course, you know, I'm being trying to be as humble as possible. I, you know, I don't accept donations from anybody or anything. I don't ask for any of that. Uh, You know, I want to do this on my own, but he insisted. He said, I'm not using it. Let me send it to you. So he sent that to me. And that, so beginning in 2015, one year later, that night vision showed up. And Scott, that just opened a whole new world of opportunities for me um, in terms of, you know, gathering videos of UFOs. That's when I started noticing ones that I could never see before. And uh, so that was a Luna Optics night vision monocular and you know it doesn't take the best videos but i'll tell you what if there's a light in the sky it's going to find it Mm -hmm. so you've got a digital camera off times running along with a night vision camera yes sir in 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 any kind of case where i think that i can run two cameras on the same object i do it and, and sometimes it's a little hard to keep up with uh, because the night vision, what's different about that is it doesn't have a screen. I, I actually can't see anything unless I'm lo- looking through the eyepiece. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you're bent over a lot looking through this little eyepiece, trying to follow things and tracking them that way. So, you know, currently I'm, I'm trying to save money to where I can upgrade those cameras. Um, and keep on going because I, you know, I love doing this and I'm going to document them as long as they keep coming around. So the night vision camera, you're picking up things that you didn't or wouldn't ordinarily see with the naked eye. Yes. And as a matter of fact, I'm trying to think, 
Let's see. Now these are. Um, I'll just. I'll just add, folks, that are listening. These are not just a light that is stationary in the sky. These oftentimes are multiple lights that, if you if you had a string of Christmas tree lights and you slowly move that string around so they would undulate, sort of almost like the end, a lazy end of a snake's tail like this, sometimes you'll see stuff like that happening with these lights. <laughs> uh, they actually sometimes dance. Uh, they increase speed. They slow. Um, and so last night I spent maybe two to three hours, Stephen, with your, your uh, YouTube page and and your videos, getting up to speed for the show. Uh, and we need to talk about some prosaic, natural explanations that we go through that process of ruling out naturally what these could be to arrive at the end of that, that query, that investigation. So... You're looking, yeah. you're looking through a digital camera or a night vision camera, and you see something. What, what is a trigger for you that tells you that what you're seeing is not a commercial airliner um, or the planet Venus? I'm being facetious right. there, obviously. Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah, well, you know, Living in Las Vegas is, is really interesting, especially sky-watching. I mean, we are in the most lit-up city in the world. Uh, so I don't really spend a whole lot of time looking towards the areas that are really bright because that's where you're going to have all the helicopters and airplanes and all that coming in. I mean, I do watch, but, you know, any kind of... Uh, helicopter or airplane is going to have safety and navigation and you're always going to see the red and the green and and then whatever other lights they have on the plane um what happens with night vision is it really makes those stand out when you're using night vision to where you know immediately that those are not you know, uh, or that those are commercial or civilian aircraft. Mm -hmm. Most of the videos that were, that I turned in for you this time were all in areas where it's restricted airspace. In other words, anything that's flying in those areas is most likely military. It certainly isn't going to be commercial or, you know, civilian aircraft. So, you know, I look for that. I look for behaviors. I look for how close do they get to one another? Uh, are they actually going straight up or straight down uh, vertically? Are they moving horizontally in an area where there should be mountains and that should be impossible? I mean, there just are a lot of triggers. The brightness of the lights, the size of the lights, um, if they're close. You know, do I hear any sound? Um, just thing after thing after thing. And, and you know, your question is such a great question because I like to think that I'm not very gullible, but I found out that I can be. 
uh, you know, after well over five years of doing this, I realized that early on that I did make mistakes. Um, I made mistakes with a train that was coming across the desert 25 miles away. And it, it was beautiful on the video, but turns out that it was a train. And so those I had to admit and, and apologize to the viewers and say, I, I'm taking that video down. It's a train. I'm sure of it. That's happened a number of times. I've probably had to take 30 videos down in the past because it could be all-terrain vehicles out in the desert. It could be people on mountain bikes with halogen lights. So what, you know, what I try to stick with now are things that couldn't be any of those. The things that are in the sky above a mountain and, and in the air. Okay, so Stephen's top five favorites of the videos. The first up is cigar-style UFO speeds past orb, and we've got that now posted on the uh, Exploring Unexplained Phenomena Facebook page, so it'll be easy to find. And tell us what what people are going to see in that video. Yeah, Scott, okay, uh, that was recent. That was very recent. That was maybe a little over a month ago. Mm-hmm. I didn't put it out until a couple weeks ago because uh, I was asked to hold on to it because I, I have some opportunities coming up on some major uh, networks, uh, and they wanted me to hang on to them, but then they said, go ahead and do it. Uh, but anyway, what was going on there is I was once using the night vision camera, and I saw what appeared to be a, an orb, and it, I was looking to the north, and I began to film this thing. And what's really rare about that video is that orb started coming pretty much in my direction, getting closer and closer and closer, which was awesome because I don't get that very much. And I'm looking through the eyepiece on that night vision monocular and I'm following it and trying to make sure it's in the frame. And all of a sudden a white streak goes through the picture. And I knew immediately, even though I couldn't identify the shape or anything, that something amazing just, just happened. So I finished up with what I was doing that night and I ran in the house and I took the SD card out of the camera and downloaded it and looked at that and oh my gosh, I couldn't believe I've got myself the first ever that I've ever gotten is a cigar shaped UFO and it is so well defined. I mean, it, we, I don't know, it kind of reminded me of what we've been seeing in the news lately. It was that Tic Tac UFO. But the Tic Tac was the Tic Tac. This was like an elongated Tic Tac. <laughs> um, but it was amazing. And it appeared to have some kind of propulsion coming out of the back, something that was moving it along. And so anyway, I was able to, you know, blow that up and, you know, put some filters on it and show it to, you know, people that want that like to view the videos. Uh, understand you've got a, a gentleman from England also that she became acquainted with. Uh, he's fairly famous in uh, UFO circles, Gary McKinnon. 
Oh, yeah, Gary. Yeah, Gary, I first met Gary, I want to say about a year ago, when I put out a video, and I was just asking a question, um, could this possibly be the secret space fleet that Gary McKinnon made famous? And I met him that way, and now we are acquainted through my channel. He seems to be there now the last few days quite a bit. Now, if Mr. McKinnon ever wants to do a radio show from his home to our studio, we'd be we'd glad to have him. So I saw his name uh, in some comments there on the videos last night. So, yeah, he's... Boy, I tell you, I hope people look him up because his story is amazing. And what he told me in the past was that if he had it all to do over again, he wouldn't have done it because his family went through a lot of trouble, a lot of problems because of that. And himself, of course. Stephen, towards but the... everything's fine and he's fine. Good. Towards the end of this video, where we're talking about the cigar-style UFO speeds past orb, it's moving from our right to left on the screen here. It encounters kind of a hazy area, uh, and right at the very end, what what is that that it goes through and then the video ends? Sure, sure. Um, that is where I knew that I was going to lose both of those objects. It's, it's, it's actually just a tree that's in my backyard, uh, just within feet of the camera. Um, I never expected anything to go, you know, in that direction. I never filmed anything right there before, but as I was following it, you know, I'm focused on the object that's farther away and not anything close up. Mm -hmm. So that's why that looked fuzzy. The, uh, the reason why I bring it up is because if you, if, if you watch that as it goes behind that tree, you part see of, some triangular shapes and everything. Yes, you saw that as well, huh? Okay. I should have yes. guessed that you would have seen that already, but <laughs> I, I just found that very interesting. I, I that suddenly there's, there's some other aspects to that light or that quote-unquote object that you can suddenly start to see. Yeah, I dismissed that, uh, Scott, because um, that tree has a lot of leaves on it. <laughs> right now it has quite a few leaves. So to me, it was like, okay, I do. I see a perfect little bright triangle in there momentarily. Mm -hmm. But it's just moving. And, you know, I'm I, I'm about 99.9% .9 sure that it's because of the leaves on the tree that we got those irregular shapes. Uh, this is Stephen Barone. And if you type into your favorite search engine... UFOs over Vegas. His YouTube channel is going to pop right up here. Um, our next one up is going to be UFOs sky dancing from start to finish. And what can you tell us about this? Well, that, that is one of my favorites because that is basically when all of this began, Scott. Uh, you know, when I got that night vision camera and I, you know, I started scanning the skies and, and I know you've watched the video so you could understand my excitement when I started seeing these formations coming in and 
the best way I can describe them is sky dancing because it seems like to me that they are having fun and not really doing anything but having fun. Yeah, we're watching it in the uh, studio right now. Yeah, and you know, what's so interesting for all of this for me is that and I think a lot of people dismiss these things, but these videos, they all are way different than I ever would have imagined. I, I've never seen a video of any UFOs doing anything like these are. Usually they're standing still like the Phoenix Lights, or you don't really see them moving around. And, you know, these ones are having fun. And what's so interesting that, about this, mm-hmm. Scott, is that you cannot see them with your naked eye. That's where I was talking about earlier, where this whole new world of opportunities opened up for me. And ironically, and good for me, is that I actually had Jaime Mosson here for two nights doing live sky watches. And he was able to observe that same phenomena. He could not, or his crew could not see them unless they were using a night vision camera. And they had their own night vision. Mm hmm. So, you know, it wasn't just me that made this kind of a, a statement. Jaime Mosan could verify that. So Jim and I are in the studio. We're watching UFOs sky dancing from start to finish. And you've got the first part of this sped up so that we can see the movement. Of the. I'm going to use the numerical term. Look at that, Jim. Jim, look. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to use the term numerically that there's four of these lights that are moving and undulating from right to left. They get closer towards what looks to be either a street light and or a, a lamp of some sort. And then, Jim, did you see what they did? They sort of swooped from left mm-hmm. to right and did that big curve and then came back around. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> if, if Stephen, if we just take this right there... Um, why isn't this an airplane? Could these be like four guys in four different ultralights that are up there with bright spotlights that are doing these maneuvers? If, if you had to... Yeah, okay. If this was somebody else's videotape and they said, what do you think it is, Stephen? What, what kind of process would you go through? Well, okay, like, like, uh, let's just use your four guys in ultralight. First of all, if that, if that was the case, that, that I think that you should be able to see them visually, okay? Um, especially if you were even closer to where that event was happening. Nobody in the world has ever done what I've been doing with this night vision camera shooting these videos. That is also where I say that, you know, like George Knapp, please watch more than five minutes of one video. Mm-hmm. Watch a series of them because I have a number of these videos that are in that spot of these same objects. And you will find that after watching a series of these videos that they are coming within inches of each other. They are going straight up and straight down vertically at the same speed, same speed up, same speed down. They're making turns that are so tight that, you know, it just not wouldn't work for anyone that's a human being inside those objects. Um, I don't know who's in them, but 
you know, one of the, the other videos we're going to be getting to, too, that I sent you was these objects, same objects. I'm filming two of them, and all of a sudden I see something starting to happen, and one materializes out of nothing. So those kind of those are the things that convince you that these are not conventional aircraft. Now, are they flying saucers? Uh, I don't know. You know, I'm filming the light, but the you know what's good for me is that they are definitely above the mountains. They're in the sky. They are coming and dancing like you wouldn't believe. The other thing is, is the way that they fall into line with one another, um, the distances between each object, it's amazing how well they maintain those distances. I've even seen where four of them will create a shape and then keep that shape while all four of them are you know, moving in a rotating together and not losing that shape. So it's the more you see, the more you realize, and it doesn't take very long for you to realize, okay, the next time I see these, I know that they are definitely worthy of me filming until I can't film them anymore because they are incredible. Okay, so, and, and Stephen, if I'm correct, it looks like you're using a tripod with the camera. Yes, I use a tripod oh, because it drives me crazy when I'm trying to watch a video yeah. and, and all it's doing is shaking. Exactly. You know, sometimes I I, it, I can't really use that too well because they're moving. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the two types of UFOs that I've seen are slow and slow, very slow, or so fast that you can't even hardly see them. Speaking of fast, we're at the almost the end of this. Uh, they've done their kind of swoop around from left to right. They're coming back to the left now, and they're headed back towards, you'll see the light appearing over here on the, on the left of the screen, Jim. What is this vertical thing that comes through here? What do you suppose that is? It, you, it comes from upper left okay. to lower right. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not looking at the video now. I mean, I know the videos really well. Uh, what you see in these videos and what I've learned over the five years or four years that I've been filming these ones in particular is that they aren't one-trick ponies. In other words, they, they can look like these glowing, perfectly round orbs, or they can look like a little, two little tiny dots inside of an orb that's uh, semi-transparent. They can look even like airplanes. They can flash, they can fly faster, they can do all kinds of things. So sometimes you see things coming straight up or straight down. It's actually them. Or, or I mentioned earlier how well those night vision cameras pick up light. It might be a satellite on the horizon going straight up or straight down or, or, or at an angle. Mm -hmm. But the, the good thing is, Scott, is that uh, anything that's filmed in that direction has to be at a minimum it has to be military or approved by the military because that is out over the las vegas and sheep mountain ranges which are the southern border of the nellis test range okay jim did you get that one posted yep i did posting uh, number three right now let's yeah let's take a break we'll come back with the third video here uh five ufos descend near Clark County charcoal kilns. 
And uh, I appreciated, Stephen, your mention to Charles Hall. We'll talk about that when we come back from our break here. This is Stephen Barone, and uh, he's taking time and up early this morning. I don't know if he was sky watching last night, but typically uh, he makes a choice of going outside with some gear and looking at the night sky and recording stuff. And again, uh, I am not a video expert, but I will say flat out that Stephen's videos are amazing. And uh, there are some people in the Las Vegas media, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, that should be woke up to this. Uh, because if Stephen can see this, it's happening right out there in front of everybody that looks. Stay tuned for five UFOs descend near Clark County Charcoal Kilns with our special guest, Stephen Barone. Type in UFOs over Vegas to either the YouTube channel or to your favorite search engine, UFOs over Vegas, and you'll find Stephen Barone, B-A-R-O-N-E. I'm Scott Colborn with Jim and you guys and gals. We'll be right back after this. Voice of the Blues in Lincoln, Nebraska, KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. Support for This Week in Lincoln comes from the venues listed here. This is live music coming to stages This Week in Lincoln. On Saturday, September 7th, the Pacifica Quartet starts at 7.30 at the Lead Center, and the Chris Lager Band starts at 9 at the Zoo Bar. On Sunday, September 8th, Lucas Minor and Borderline are at the Playmore's Country Night beginning at 8, and Zoolarius starts at 8 at the Zoo Bar. That is live music happening this week in Lincoln. The full moon lights the silver rails winding around dark mountains and over steep gorges of jagged rock in one freezing cold rushing Black Mountain River. I wish there was enough time to describe all of the funny twists and turns that led up to now, but there isn't enough time because there's a ticking clock and the two passengers we care most about don't know anything about it. To see what happens next, visit read.gov to read The Exquisite Corpse, a riveting adventure pieced together by John Sheska, Shannon Hale, Daniel Handler, and other popular authors. Explore new worlds. Read. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Vic Valverde, and I'd like to invite you on a musical journey of both sound and rhythm to a place I call Mesoterra. We'll travel far from commercial culture and just a step or two away from the abstract. So join me on Saturday afternoons, 3 to 5 p.m. for Mesoterra, right here on KZUM. Scott Colborn with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. Our special guest is Stephen Barone. And Stephen makes his home in the Summerlin area of Las Vegas. 
had his first encounter or UFO rather sighting in 2011, a second one in 2014, and now he's been on this personal adventure, a quest, if you will, to go out into literally his backyard and look at the night sky. And if he sees something that looks interesting, he will start filming. Are there times that you don't see anything and you just start filming just to see what the night vision is going to pick up? <laughs> that's, that's a good question. Yes. Yes. Uh, I got the word sky fishing from Jaime hmm. Mosan. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, it is it's like sitting on the, you know, next to the river and propping your fishing pole up and just waiting for a, a bite, right? Uh, yes, I've done that many times. Uh, when nothing's going on, and it it can prove to be very uh, worthwhile uh, once in a while. Okay, we've got the third video here that we've posted on the Exploring Unexplained Phenomena Facebook page. Five UFOs descend near Clark County charcoal kilns. What are we looking at? Yeah, Scott, this was another one that's amazing. And we're talking about the same glowing objects that cannot be seen with the naked eye, but they can be seen using the night vision monocular. And so anyway, I caught uh, what appeared to be three of them. The, 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 you know, I can't always see the whole sky. I, I, you know, so I'll try to film what or shoot video of what I can. But anyway, this was another rare time when they appeared to be coming closer to my direction. They appeared to be coming to the Spring Mountains, so I'm following them. And I know there's at least three. But by that time, I had also learned to not turn the camera off, even when you think it's over, and wait a little bit because you never, you never know what's going to happen, right? I, because I have missed good good video in the past by turning the camera off too fast. So I followed the three, and they came to the Spring Mountains, and here they come, arching in and going down right behind the peak that's no more than three miles from my home. So three of them went down, and I smartly, thankfully, left the camera running because here comes two more. And they all went down behind that peak. So I have a total of five that gone went down. And, of course, I tried waiting them out, hoping they would come back out and come back up, um, and they never did. Um, so the tie-in so with Charles Hall, up. yeah, that's, let's talk about that tie-in with Charles Hall now. Why, why is this area right. interesting? It's so interesting, Scott, because... As I'm doing all of this, I try to find all of the history that I can of UFOs in our area here in, in southern Nevada, Las Vegas. And one of the things that really hit home with me was Charles James Hall and his story about being a meteorologist for the Air Force back in the early 60s, where he was actually out in these areas where I'm actually doing these videos now. And so I listened to his millennial series that he did on, on these, what he called the tall white, mm -hmm. working with the tall white. 
But the one thing that really hit home with me is there was a point in there where he mentioned these old charcoal kilns. I'm not sure when they were built, but, you know, it goes back into the beginning of the 1900s and before that. But he said that that was all a place that the tall whites loved to come park their their scout craft because it was semi-flat. It was isolated. And I don't know, I guess the kids could get out of the craft and play or whatever. But that was really interesting to me and because I looked to see where they were, right? And I thought, wow, that's not far away. That's, that's very close to where I live right here. And so when that video happened, I immediately thought of the kilns. So I know that I can take Google Earth and draw a line from my home to the charcoal kilns and look at it on a map and even look at it, you know, where I'm like standing on the ground looking at it. And so when I drew that line, I was, I was amazed because it came down directly where those charcoal kilns are. So, you know, um, are these the tall whites? I don't know. Um, you know, I can't prove that, but I can tell you one thing that if, you know, first of all, I always felt that he was telling the truth and that nobody would set them up, themselves up for ridicule like that because I've had it. I've had it. It's happened to me. Instantly, you have people going after you, you know, and, and you know, I just try to let that, let that all go. I try not to worry about it too much. And I'm glad he did because either he was telling the truth or he was an amazing visionary because these things are all happening exactly where he described. <laughs> this is Stephen Barone. Uh, type into your favorite search engine, UFOs over Vegas. And the video that we've just watched here again is five UFOs descend near Clark County charcoal kilns. Um, and, uh, Pretty amazing stuff again. We've watched it in uh, uh, hyperspeed. We've watched it in regular speed here, too. And uh, I defy people to get on there and say, okay, these are uh, satellites. These are swarms of mosquitoes. These are birds. These are airplanes. These are ultralights. These are helicopters. Uh, these are flares that are somehow powering across the sky in formation. Um, we go through all those steps and then we say to ourselves something is really incredible happening and uh, Stephen you've made a comment several times that the audience that you have on YouTube that has seen your work, these videos that they are indeed special because not everybody is aware of this yeah, I feel that way. I, I, I feel that way, Scott. I, you know, one of the reasons I never, I never went around posting videos on all sorts of Facebook pages or group pages or, or whatever. First of all, I thought that would be tacky. But second of all, I, I, especially now I feel this way is that I feel that 
what I have captured and what I am presenting here is good enough where it it should definitely be seen. Uh, it hasn't really happened. I mean, I have I do have a, a a pretty small following compared to a lot of other people um, on YouTube, but you know, I feel that the video is definitely good enough that. Whoever watches these are just a tiny fraction of people that live in the world that are, or even people that are in or interested in UFOs. But what they are seeing is actual unidentified flying objects. And I'm not telling them they're flying saucers. I'm not saying they're government craft or anything because I try not to say anything that I don't know. But at the end of the day, I say the one thing I know for sure is that and to, you know, until somebody can repeat any of this, that this is amazing, and this is something that that people should be seeing, and that maybe we don't have the real story about what's going on in America or even the world. So you've got uh, uh, in the valley close to two million people that live there, and this is happening uh, in some cases literally over their head. Uh, I hope that uh, on a show like this, we can reach a few more people in that Las Vegas area and to have them start going out. Because I would love, Stephen, would simply love this for you and your work, to have you, from your location, focused on something, talking to a couple of other people, either through your phone or through the computer, that are at other vantage points. They're also looking and filming at the same thing. I would love to have that, that network set up for you. Hey, let's yeah, talk about, would love. let's talk about this, this fourth video here. We're, we're pressed for time now. Three UFOs, MUFON, that's the Mutual UFO Network, refuses to investigate or acknowledge. What's going on there? Yeah, okay, I should change that title and the banner because I did finally hear from MUFON. Uh, what we have, Scott, is going back to the very beginning, there, there is a problem with, with MUFON um, and the state director here who was actually forced to resign for unethical behavior. And it had to do with my case. She was kind of putting teams of people together to go after me and try to ridicule me. So she was actually, she got letters letters are written about her to move on from not me from other people in the community that she had d done these presentations in front of that complained that how terrible this person was and you know it got to the point where i had sent two let's see two three ufo videos into mufon early on the first one i told you came back unidentified well, the next two came in back as unexplainable, unidentified as well. So that was three. When I tried to do the fourth one, I had talked to her, and she became exasperated that she was buried and, you know, in, 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 in you know, cases and the whole thing. And I said, so, well, you know what? That's okay. I don't have a need to send it in, but I'd just like to have your opinion on one. She goes, oh, okay, send it to me. So I sent her a video of a, was a red UFO near downtown Las Vegas. 
And when I heard back from her, she said, well, that, that was a fire truck on a freeway. And the helicopter that comes over that I saw this helicopter fly over in the video was a police car. And I, you know, I, silly me, I thought she was kidding, uh, joking with me, and I, I laughed. And she became extremely defensive and insulted that I would question her. And I asked her, I just said one more thing. I said, well, you know, where did you watch the video? And she says, I watched it on my iPhone. And I'm going, what? You're, you mean you watch that on that tiny little screen and you're telling me for sure that this is what it is? I said, it, that didn't even happen near a freeway. There, you know. Anyway, that launched the whole thing mm -hmm. where she just sent all these people after me and it still goes on today. But uh, even the new uh, the new director said that she had issues with her as well. Uh, so anyway, you, long story short, though, is I sent a fourth about nine or ten months ago. I decided one more time to try to send another video in, and that was this one with these three video uh, three UFOs coming in from the east and ultimately touching down inside of Nellis Air Force Base, and. Uh, Never heard another word about it until I really kept trying to find out what was going on. I finally got a hold of the new state director, and she says, oh, no, I, it, we investigated it, and it made our hardest to get into classification of being an unknown. So that made it four for four uh, of all being unknowns. And, you know, that's pretty rare to have all four of them. Um, but anyway... Um, I had to really push to get any kind of information. No one ever called me. I never filled out any forms. So I kind of gave up on MUFON, although I know I don't have problems with people that are volunteers with MUFON. I think they're all in it for the, the right reason. But I just had a problem with them. I had a problem with the Air Force. They, you know, explained my first UFO as a jet fighter doing maneuvers over Las Vegas by itself. And I asked them then is can air, can jet aircraft hover? Because that's what this thing did. And <laughs> you get these ridiculous <laughs> answers where you decide that the only people that you can really trust now are the public. We've got uh, one final video here that I don't know if we're going to have time to talk about because we're really pressed now. We've got about three minutes for Stephen. Uh, of the Stephen's top five favorites of all the videos, number five is titled Filming What Could Be Scout Ships. And we're going to post that on the Exploring Unexplained Phenomena page. Stephen, what are people looking at here? Well, this is probably the same objects that we talked about that went down near the charcoal kilns, Scott. Right. I've got a lot of videos of these, but some of them are just so special that they became favorites of mine. And believe me, I have way more than five that are my favorite. I can't even name an ultimate <clears throat> favorite. Um, but this is just another example that shows objects in the sky that are doing things that are extremely unconventional, things that should be impossible if you go by all of our current technology.
So uh, you can occasionally see on these night vision shots, you can occasionally see an airplane going through. And you'll see a, a, well, a flashing light. Uh-huh. Okay, that, that, was my, that was my thoughts, too, early on. Until I started having a lot of experience with these objects. And I realized, I'm going to go back to what I said earlier, they, they aren't one-trick ponies that they they are actually capable of doing all sorts of things, including flashing like an airplane. Mm-hmm. You know, um, geez, just a couple of days ago, I got a comment from a gentleman saying, well, that's an airplane because it's flashing. And I, I said, well, you know, think about it for a minute. UFOs are capable of, of you know, anti-gravity. They can appear, disappear. Do you think it's very difficult for them to mimic an airplane? And, you know, he says, oh, yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> Just having a flashing light is probably not very hard. Uh, so they do that. I, I think that a lot of times they probably have a set of rules where they try to travel slowly or they try to look like conventional aircraft. And I think that's the reason a lot of people don't really pay attention to them. They think they're airplanes or helicopters. Uh, Dr. Willie Smith years ago had a paper uh, that was titled Why UFOs Have Lights. And at the end of the day, he surmised that there were two reasons. One was um, an artifact from the propulsion system, uh, the method of, of travel. The other would be is that the UFO has lights because they want to be seen. And... You've got night vision mm-hmm. that are picking up things that wouldn't ordinarily be seen by the naked eye. So I, I've, since last night, I pondered that. Uh, folks, this is going on over the skies and right outside of Las Vegas. Stephen Brown's been our guest today. He lives in the Summerlin area, and he's done an incredible job of going out uh, thousands of hours and filming the night sky, and then posting what he finds on his YouTube channel. Um, Tonight, with uh, your favorite beverage, I want you to track down UFOs over Vegas and take a look at his work on his YouTube channel. It's simply phenomenal. Stephen, I I hope that I can see you again in person. I enjoyed meeting you several years ago in Laughlin, Nevada, at Paula Harris's uh, event, and... Paula says if you ever want to attend again, she will she will pay your way. She'll make it happen. So Well, I would love that, Scott. I do know Paula. She's a sweet lady. I know she's made an offer to me in the past, but she's never followed through with it. So <laughs> I'm hoping that one of these days that she gives me a half hour that I can get up there and show some of this to people because it's it's pretty incredible, and I'm very proud of, you know, this library of video that I've been able to amass. Um, so, again, it's Stephen Barone, B-A-R-O-N-E. Uh, type in your favorite search engine and or on YouTube, UFOs over Vegas, and you'll find Stephen. Thank you so much. The door is always open here for you to come back and talk with us again, Stephen. I really appreciate it. Scott, I would be able, I would love that. I would love that. Thank you so much for the opportunity. 
Stephen Barone, UFOs over Vegas. Wow, what a show. Yeah. Um, this is some remarkable stuff. Yeah, I know that you would be interested, Jim, from your photography mm -hmm. background. Well, I'm, you know, my first reaction is, well, these are some sort of military aircraft, either operational or experimental practicing night maneuvers, but I, I can't say for sure. Yeah, when you see you know, some of the, the changes <clears throat> in speed and course, it's I mean, very interesting. Yeah, and if, if you've seen the Blue Angels or the Thunderbirds, you know they do some amazing things. But then again, I can't be sure just from watching the video. That's, that's just a guess. And it makes sense, you said, that they have lights because they want to be seen. Right. That's why airplanes have lights. They want to be seen. They need to be seen. Uh, we'll get Stephen Barone back in the near future. This has been really fun. Yes, it has. Um, Stay tuned for Beta Radio coming up, and uh, sure appreciate you folks out there listening. And we will talk to you next week during the big fundraiser for KZUM Radio. Uh, if this program was of interest to you, then next week, please consider a donation to KZUM Radio, because we want to do more of this kind of stuff. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Scott Colborn. Until next week, walk in beauty.